Let me read for you what some uh, prominent pastors, preachers, theologians have said about today's text. Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, said about today's text, it is the chief point and the very central place of the epistle. This is the central place in the epistle to the Romans and of the whole Bible. Wow. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that uh, great preacher of the uh, 20th century in London, these are the greatest verses in the entire Bible on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Leon Morris, the American theologian, this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Thursday night, somebody said, don't screw it up. (laughs) So the bar has been set high. Lord, may we hear this scripture with the attentiveness and the openness with which it deserves. So this text really sets forth the doctrine of justification, which J.I. Packer says is the mighty atlas that upholds the entirety of the gospel. And John Calvin says the doctrine of justification is the hinge of the gospel. Uh, This theology we must get. And if we do get it, it will absolutely... uh, and um, it will energize our Christian faith, and it will settle so many wonderful things. What an incredible text uh, that we're going to look at today. So today we are looking at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, so please turn there in your Bibles. Now last week, last week I said the Apostle Paul had my theological head underwater, from chapter 118 all the way to chapter 3, verse 20. And he just held us down, held us down until we gave up trying to save ourselves. So 118 all the way through 20, he made one basic theological point. Uh, The wrath of God rests upon us because of our sin. And we cannot save ourselves. We just can't be good enough. Judgment is coming and and, uh, and you can't escape it. And, and so he just hammered us with this, you know, for uh, verse after verse and paragraph after paragraph and two plus chapters. Uh, why? Because he knows that we are so resistant to this idea that we cannot save ourselves and that uh, we are needy. Uh, but finally, he's just, he's made the point, we've gotten it, and then today he lets us up for some air, and, and we look, now that we have given up any pretense of saving ourselves, we are looking outside of ourselves to another. He's primed us to look to Jesus to save us. This scripture today begins with the two words, but now. But now. Somebody once said, thank God for the buts of the Bible. But now. Something has changed in salvation history. Uh, Whereas Paul has been talking to us about the wrath of God and the coming judgment and our inability to to please God and and, uh, dig ourselves out of that hole. But now, there's been a change. Something has happened with the coming of Jesus Christ 
that it ushered in a new day in salvation history. And, and this text today tells us what that is. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, the word here, manifested, is the same Greek word used in chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, the wrath of God is revealed, manifested, made known. So, in chapter 118, it's what, what has God made us known, or what has God made known to us? The fact that He's angry with us because of our sin. But now, there's something new that God wants us to hear and respond to, and it is the righteousness of God. Massive change. We've gone from a, a message of condemnation, an era of condemnation, to an era of justification and hope. So exciting. Such a positive note. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, what is the righteousness of God? Well, first and foremost, it's contrasted with our righteousness that is earned by our effort and by our obedience to the law of God. It is, it is a righteousness that always falls short of God's standard, right? There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And one of the things Paul has been drilling down is that you can't save yourself because you can't be righteous enough. You cannot attain God's standard. And so uh, we have no hope of being saved through our own righteousness. If we're going to be right with God, we need another's righteousness. And so that's what God has now revealed. It's the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness that we earn and attain to ourselves. It's, it's a righteousness outside of us. Theologians talk about it as an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that exists apart from us. In fact, it's the very righteousness of God, won for us in the, the perfect life of our Lord Jesus Christ, that gets credited to our account. It, it is given to us. And this righteousness of God that has, is made available to us in Jesus Christ is a total game changer, a total game changer. Now, we imperfect people who are corrupted by the sin nature and incapable of living up to God's standards in our own power, well, another has done that, the Lord Jesus and the righteousness of God becomes available to us. And if we can appropriate it, right? If we can take, take that on and if that righteousness can become ours, all of a sudden it will completely alter our relationship with God, our standing with God, our position before God. So this text is all about this righteousness of God, which is a new thing. It was unknown before the coming of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel. This was one of those mysteries of the gospel that had been hidden, that God was going to provide for us a righteousness that was not ours. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That's the first point. If you have your bulletins, uh, I have these very nice fill-in-the-blanks. I work hard on them, so I want to see fills, fill-ins. This helps focus you, helps you remember these things. So number one, this righteousness of God is 
apart from the law. Well, what does that mean? It means that it comes to us apart from our effort, our obedience. Listen to the Apostle Paul who has um, claimed this righteousness of God apart from the law. Uh, and where I'm in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4, he writes, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, if anybody thinks they can be confident before God because of their obedience to the law or their good, good works, I do. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, the most strict keepers of the law in the day, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, Paul has, Paul has given up the path of trying to be good enough to earn God's approval. He's given that up, even though he says, look, if anyone had a chance, I did. I was at the top of the class, and I've given that up. I count it as rubbish. Uh, because I, I have discovered, God has revealed that that's not how we get right with God. In fact, uh, the verse that comes right before our text, we read it last week, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Not a single person on judgment day is going to hear from God, you did it! You were good enough! Come on in! Nobody. It, that is a... Uh, that is a path to reconciliation with God that leads nowhere but hell. And so Paul says this righteousness of God that he has, uh, he has um, appropriated, this righteousness of God is, number one, apart from the law. You're not going to attain it through your good works, through your effort. Got to accept that. Uh, secondly, this is a righteousness that was foretold in the Old Testament. It's, uh, this is always was God's plan A. Because he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's kind of shorthand for the Old Testament. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. Uh, in fact, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah, who prophesied hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus Christ, Isaiah 53.10 and 11, this is clearly a, um, a forward um, imagining of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, 
make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This righteousness of God that has been manifested, made known, revealed at the coming of Jesus Christ was always God's plan. He always intended to reconcile us to himself through the sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. So this righteousness of God comes, number one, apart from the law. Number two, it's foretold in the Old Testament. Number three, it is, a, it is acquired by faith. This is key. Not by works, but by faith. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. How do we gain this righteousness of God? How, do, how is it acquired? Not through effort but through faith, through faith in Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus to save us from our sin, all of a sudden this righteousness of God is given to us. It's credited to our account. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is why uh, one of the five fundamentals of the Reformation was sola fide, faith alone. How do you appropriate the righteousness of God? How do you gain it? Through faith alone. Not faith plus works, which is our tendency. Our tendency is to say, I'm going to do a whole lot, and I'm going to get myself down the field, and then Jesus will come in and get me to the end zone. Faith plus works, and, and, and God will be happier with me the farther down the field I get so that Jesus has to do less, right? And that's not at all true. It is not faith plus works. It's 100% faith in Jesus Christ. And, and I'll tell you, it's just so not the way we normally relate to people. We have to constantly be re-reminded that our relationship with God, our security in that relationship is dependent on faith, not works. So this righteousness of God is apart from the law, foretold in the Old Testament, acquired by faith, and it is needed by all. For there is no distinction, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Humans have one core spiritual problem. It's sin. And therefore, there is one solution, namely Jesus. If you are living in the jungles of Papua New Guinea uh, and you're wearing a loincloth and you have not had much in, uh, interaction with civilization, you still have a sin problem. That is your number one spiritual issue. If you're living in New York City or downtown London or Brisbane, Australia, uh, it doesn't matter your education level, it doesn't matter that your cultural upbringing, male, female, young, old, you, we all have one fundamental problem, 
spiritually, and it's sin. It's the fact that we've dethroned God. We've rebelled against Him. Uh, D.A. Carson tells us a story making this point. And he said it was, uh, it's in London, there was this young woman who, uh, her goal was to give religious education to some inner city boys. And in her early attempts to do that met with colossal failure. And so she changes tactics and and she said, all right, boys, we're going to, we're going to build ourselves a world. And so they started by literally building a physical world, paper mache and, and toothpicks. And, uh, and they built a physical world, the little figurines and animals and water and uh, towns. And they, they spent some time doing that. Then, then she said, okay, we've got the physical world. Let's now talk backstory. Let's name the, you know, name the little peoples and, and uh, what's the name of the town? What's the, what's the economy? Uh, give, let's just give as much backstory as we can. So they, so they imagined, right? They imagined the world and, and, that they'd created and how it works. And, and then one week she said, okay, don't you think we should create some rules? If we were to create some rules for our world so that the little peoples would thrive, what, what, would the, what would those rules be? And so the, the little boys are talking, and they said, well, don't jump in the lake because you'll dissolve. So she writes, you know, don't jump in the lake. Probably shouldn't play too close to the edges. You'll fall off and smash. Don't play too close to the edges, right? So they come up with rules. She waits till the next week. The next week, the boys come back, and, and she said, I have a question for you. Imagine one of the little peoples that you've made turns to you, looks you right in the eyes and says, you know those rules you made up last week? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. If I want to jump in the lake, I'll jump in the lake. If I want to cl- play close to the edge, I'll play close to the edge. I don't care what you want for me. I'm going to do it my own way. How would you feel? One of the little boys said, I'd break his legs. <laughs> and Carson says, that's the issue. You see, God has created us for a purpose. He has a will. And the, the, the problem is sin. We have all dethroned God and looked him in the face. At some level, we look him in the face and say, I don't care what you want for me. I'm going to do my own thing. That's the fundamental issue. And Jesus is the only solution to that issue. The righteousness of God that offsets the wickedness of man. My wickedness, your wickedness. Needed by all. Oh, uh, I wrote a paper in college on The Last Judgment by Michelangelo. See, I even say his name all fancy. Michelangelo. Uh, and so his, this is very interesting. I, I argued in the pa- paper that uh, there's evidence that Michelangelo... Uh, was influenced by the, uh, the Reformation ideas, theology of the Reformation. So in his early sketches of the Last Judgment, um, Mary, his mother, is not cowering. She is, uh, she is kind of on his side, and then all of humanity is, is cowering at the, uh, at the judgment of Jesus Christ, but not Mary, right? Doctrine of sinless perfection of Mary. Well, 
Then in the final, if you go look at the final last judgment, Mary is lumped in with the rest of humanity cowering at the coming judgment of her son. Which is this idea that there is no one, not even Mary the mother of Jesus, who is sinless and, uh, and exempt from needing the righteousness of God. Very interesting. It's needed by all. So this righteousness of God is apart from the law, foretold by the prophets, acquired by faith, needed by all, accomplished on the cross. Verse 24, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. All right, get out your pencils. You, there are three theological words you need to know. So... Write these down and learn them. These three theological words, if you know these words, understand them, apply them to your spiritual life, they can be revolutionary. Those words are, they're right here in the text, justified, redemption, propitiation. We must understand these words, or at least the theological, con- the, 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 what they signify, because it's absolutely staggering. Throw up my triangle. I borrowed this triangle. Three words, justification, propitiation, redemption. First off, redemption. To redeem is to buy back out of slavery. In in, uh, Paul's day, there was no such thing as bankruptcy laws. You couldn't say, I declare bankruptcy when you spent more than you could afford. What happened is if you owed somebody money you couldn't repay, you became their slave until you paid off the debt. So, hmm, lots of slaves. But maybe you have some rich relative who takes pity on you and goes and redeems you, pays the debt for you so that you're set free. We owe a sin debt. The wages of sin is death, right? We have all sinned. We owe the debt of death. Jesus Christ, by His death on the cross, substituting for us, He pays our debt to set us free. And so we are no longer obligated to uh, be slaves to unrighteousness. We can now be set free and, and choose to present ourselves as slaves to God. So redemption, Jesus has redeemed the Christian, set us free from slavery to sin and sets us free from uh, the kingdom of darkness, and we enter the kingdom of light. And so uh, the, the prince of the kingdom of darkness, Satan, is no longer our master unless we allow him to be. See? You have been redeemed. You have been uh, set free from your slavery to sin and its uh, presence and penalty and power in your life. And the Holy Spirit, of course, helps us live that out day to day. So that's redemption. Now, what is justification? Uh, Justification is to be declared righteous. And it is something that God the Father, the judge of the universe, declares about us. Boom, the gavel comes down and he says, not guilty. Now, how in the world can he do that when we are, in fact, guilty? Well, because Jesus' righteous life 
is credited to us and his death pays the penalty for our sin. So that God, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, God can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. He's just because he, he punishes sin as it deserves on the back of Jesus, and he is the justifier because he can declare righteous those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, with justification, you need to understand that um, justification is a gift, right? We've been talking about the, the righteousness of God, which is given to us. And based on that righteousness, the gavel comes down not guilty. And if God declares you right, uh, if he declares you justified, one way to think of justified is just as if I'd never sinned. I like that one. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I've been declared righteous by God. And this, if, if we are righteous, then we are right with God. Because the, 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 the issue we had, the problem God had with us, is our unrighteousness. Now, justification is something God declares about us, and it happens in a moment. And God, who knows the end from the beginning, do you think he's going to declare Mike Mariner righteous, and then 10 years later go, whoops, I take that back. No, he, he knows what I'm going to do. And my righteous, the right, this justification happens in a moment, it's permanent, and it's based not on my achievements, it's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so you either are walking through life justified or not justified. And if you are justified, this is why the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why the Bible says we can, become, we can come boldly into the very throne of God's grace. Uh, why? Because God has declared us righteous. He has justified us. We, that's our position. We are positionally right with God. What about my poor behavior next week? or a year from now. That doesn't alter the fact that God has declared me righteous. It doesn't change my positional standing with God. Does my sin affect my experiential relationship with God? Yes, I believe it does, which is one of the uh, why confession is so important for that cleansing. And, uh, but it does not change our position before God, our positional righteousness, Okay. Now, this last word, propitiation. Ooh, how many of you... No, I'm not going to ask you. I had to relook that one up. Propitiation. Here we go. The act whereby someone is made propitious. Does that help? <laughs> propitious is favorable. The act whereby one is made favorable. God's... Wrath For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is angry with sinful people until Christ propitiates and changes God's attitude. So what Jesus did by dying is satisfied the wrath of God. 
and made God, changed God's attitude toward the Christian. No longer is God angry. His wrath has been satisfied fully, and now he is favorable towards the Christian. Does that make sense? So here's, here's the thing I, we should own. There is not a drop of wrath left over for you and me if you're in Christ. The full fury of God, rightful fury of God, has been poured out upon His Son, Jesus, on the cross. Not 50%, 75%, 80%, and hold back a little bit for you. 100%. Of, and, and don't minimize the wrath of God. God was angry, is angry about sin. But for the Christian, the wrath of God has been poured out upon Jesus. He's born by His stripes. We're healed. And, and the wrath of God has been fully spent. Jesus has absorbed it. It killed the Son of the living God. And so there's no more wrath left over for you and me if you're in Christ. God is not angry with you. He's favorable. He's been made propitious. Christ, by His blood, right? The blood of Christ has been spilled on your behalf. And it changed God's attitude toward the Christian. Amazing. So the wrath of God which rested upon me because of my sin has been satisfied. Now God is pleased with Mike, happy with Mike. He likes me. Declared righteous. I'm not on the wrong side of God. I am not guilty. I am accepted. My debt's been paid. I'm free. It's unbelievable. And it's nothing I did. I didn't earn this. Paul's just pounded the, the, the fact that we can't earn it on our own. We just can't earn it. It has to come outside of, from outside of us and it is granted to us. And it's all been made possible by Jesus Christ and it is given to us by God. If we have faith in Jesus. Final point. It, it made God both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 26. Or I'll start in verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he'd passed over former sins. Didn't mean he forgave them. He just he, he didn't deal with humanity based on... Uh, sin until Christ. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How is he just? Because he's, he has um, punished sin. And how is he the justifier? Because he's punished sin on the back of Jesus. Quite a text, isn't it? Quite a text. How do we respond? Three responses. Number one, receive the righteousness of God by putting your faith in Jesus. Give up on any hope of attaining uh, your own righteousness. That's just uh, a losing game. You can't win that game. But there's a righteousness of God that you can appropriate through faith in Jesus. But you've got to put your faith in Jesus. I mean, look how many times it talks about faith. 
through faith in Jesus for all who believe. It's, it's uh, justified by grace as a gift to, re- to be received by faith for those who have faith in Jesus. It, have you put your faith in Jesus and received the righteousness of God? And, and if not, that's your next step today, and don't leave without doing that. And I'd love if you tell me, and we'll talk about next steps of following Jesus. Number two, rest 100% in God's righteousness. I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. How can, how can John say that we can know we have eternal life? Because it's not about us and our performance. And so God, God wants you to rest in His righteousness that is yours. And stop stressing over your failures. God is just not interested in us beating up, beating ourselves up and trying to atone through our own woe is me. He wants us to get on with the business of living, living the Christian life. So we rest in God's righteousness. And this is something we have to preach to ourselves over and over and over again. It's given to me because based on what Christ has done, not what I do. And then finally, live the life, get about Let's live the life we were meant to live. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, here's Paul again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." And in this text, we are both called to a life of good works, but he's, he, makes it, he reminds us it's not by works that we're saved, right? It's once we are made right with God, then we go out and we live a life that God made us to live. He's, he's prepared us to live a life uh, full of good works, and that's what He saved us for. So let's get about the business of doing living that life we were meant to live, but uh, for the right purpose. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your head. This is time to just do business with God. We've, we have really uh, been talking about some very significant tr- spiritual truths. Where are you? What's your response Do you need to be resting 100% in the righteousness of God that's given to you? Give up trying to attain your own righteousness? Maybe that's messages for you. Maybe you need to be the one who says, I accept the fact that I'm a sinner and the wrath of God rests upon me and I need Jesus to save me. Or maybe your, your heart has been re-inspired to live a life that is worthy of this great salvation that's been given to you. Tell the Lord how you're going to respond to these glorious truths. In Jesus' name, amen.